1: At that time, if you would ask me what I was gonna be, I was gonna be a rock star. Now nobody wants that displeasure of of having to face things that you don't want to face or get involved with things you don't want to get involved with. But uh, I've always pushed the humble. Don't get me wrong, there's a lot of great people who are do the everyday thing, and then that's fine. You know, there's a lot of ordinary people, but if you want to be extraordinary, you gotta get out of your comfort zone.
0: Turn my mic up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the road to the riches. Life takes a toll like bridges. Good friends foes snitches. Better watch who knows in your business, 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 all right. Hustle fam, hustle fam, we are back with another amazing episode. And today I am in McDonough, Georgia. I am joined by the CEO and president of Mobile Transportation Services, Mr. Travis Wines. Travis, welcome to Truck and Hustle, sir. Hey, thank you for having me on. Well, we appreciate you inviting us here to your beautiful facility. We just took a, a, a tour, mm-hmm. kind of got an idea of, of, of your growth over the last couple of years and everything you've been doing. Um, fleet management, right? Mm-hmm. Fleet management, <clears throat> fleet re- uh, repair, something that we don't get to talk to a lot, but something that's very integral to anybody's transportation business. So we wanted to come and just kind of talk to you about that. Talk to you about your business and how it's grown over the years and what you guys are looking to do in the future. Um, so let's kind of get started with your backstory a little bit. Tell us about yourself, where you're
1: from, and kind of how you got into this business. So yeah, uh, my name's Travis Wines. I grew up here in, in Henry and Clayton County, a little bit of both. Uh, moved around a good bit as a kid. Uh, I was the youngest of four kids. <clears throat> um, you know, we were a regular middle class family, um, raised by my biological mother and father. Uh, around 14, my my dad passed away. He had lung cancer. Uh, he was an iron worker, so he was exposed to the asbestos. And uh, unfortunately, lost him at a young age. And, uh, you know, from that point, it uh, kind of steered my life in a different direction. I started to, uh, you know, I took up a job to help my mom with finances and stuff like that. You know, working... You know, I worked at a movie theater, I worked at a uh, electronics store, just kind of worked around anything I could do to make some money. Um, and I really got into uh, trucking, you know, right around the time I was 18. Uh, I turned 18 and I got a job delivering beer for Miller Lite. Um, actually, uh, I was a helper at first, of course, okay. and, get, and got my CDO license to them at 18, by the way, which is legal. A lot of people don't realize that. Yeah, yeah. But I uh, got my CDL license and uh, got into trucking, um, you know, drove for several years, um, kind of got to the point to where I wasn't into the driving much, you know, and uh, uh, had an opportunity to be a helper in a shop. And, uh, you know, I took that opportunity and, uh, and that's kind of where my mechanical career started uh, around the same time I was, uh, you know, playing music, you know, I was in a band and we were uh, we recorded an album and, and did some things with music. And uh, so I was very serious about that. You know, that's at that time, if you would ask me what I was going to be, I was going to be a rock star. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like all of us, man. Yeah, ex- we all
0: want to be rock stars at one point, right?
1: Exactly. So, you know, that, that really, uh, consumed a lot of my time and passion. I didn't really have a full understanding of where my future was going. So I got a job as a mechanics helper, uh, started learning the trade, uh, really loved it right off the rip but you know i enjoy working on my hands so i've always uh, put things together you know models and stuff like that growing up and you know my mom would get mad at me when i was young for taking the vcr apart, you know to, to see how it worked you know
0: <laughs> man vcr kids don't even know about a vcr these days exactly right? <laughs> yep
1: yep okay so uh so yeah i got that that gig there i learned everything i could about it i mean i was just really into it i took a lot of passion for it um ended up into a lead technician role learned pretty good within the first couple of years. Um, you know, took on a, a lead technician role for a company and um, that's, that was my first management gig, you know, when I was actually over technicians. So I did that for, uh, you know, about three or four years and ended up becoming a manager over a location. Um, so at that point I was basically responsible for, um, one LTL operation and then four dedicated accounts. Okay. And I was over all of the fleet maintenance for, for all of that, that equipment. And, uh, it was roughly two or 300 pieces of equipment. I'd say, um, at the time, you know, we were having trouble getting technicians just like we do now. You know, it was even, this was back in 2012. Okay. So, you know, that was a thing even back then. So, um, you know, ironically, um, You know, now post-COVID, everybody has trouble keeping employees and getting employees and stuff. Yeah. In this field, we've been dealing with that for years, you know. Um, So, you know, in 2012, I knew that was going to be the biggest issue was getting technicians, keeping them. So that's kind of honestly where I think I learned a lot of the valuable lessons that it takes to be, you know, what I'm doing now. Because I really learned how to work with people. I started recruiting people off the dock you know didn't necessarily have experience but they they wanted to be a part of it you know they would come down there and see what we was doing they wanted to be a part of it they wanted to learn you know in in previous years it was always real hard to get into a gig like that unless you had experience most managers wouldn't let you come into a shop with no experience and and try to be a mechanic right Um, so you almost you either knew how to do it or you wasn't getting into it (laughs) yeah yeah so i took uh, I started taking people in training them uh you know we would work with them very well they would they would work for months and months before they ever touched anything on their own you know just helping people learning the trade uh we ended up building probably one of the best shops for that specific company in the whole country by doing that Got you it. know yep the people that we built there was was amazing I mean we did such a good job at you know just building a great team you know I didn't even realize it at the time but I was learning really valuable team building skills. Mm. Um, so we done that. Uh, you know, I, I rode that bus for a while. You know, I ran that shop for a while. Uh, ended up getting offered a consulting gig. Uh, you know, I had people seen what I had kind of did there and uh, you know, they wanted me to help them get their shops to that that type of environment and, right. and working like that. So 2016, I got offered a consulting job Where I would go, and uh, basically, their whole model was asset management. You know, they were taking advantage of uh, some fuel mandates that were put in place through the Obama administration. Mm -hmm. So, greenhouse gas phase one, which is basically they were forcing the OEMs to be more fuel efficient every year to help, you know, the environmental impact and all. Right. And uh, at the time, it was two and a half percent per year is what they expected, you know, the OEMs to, to try to meet. So what we did at the company that I was working with, we would take and take advantage of those fuel uh, increases in, in the model year. And it was a leasing program that they would get out of the lease a little early and into a newer piece of equipment. So, you know, if you get into a, a piece of equipment that's four years newer, you know, you're talking about a 10 percent better fuel efficiency. So just the fuel efficiency alone would save them a lot of money and also the maintenance aspect of that as well. You know, they would be back into a warranty period for maintenance. So they wouldn't be covering a lot of the major repairs. Whereas before they'd be out of warranty and you know, around 500,000 miles is kind of when we would try to get them out of the trucks and into newer trucks. Um, You know you stay you know you get extended warranties and things like that you can really cover a lot of your maintenance cost up until that point right so it was really a asset management model that we were working um and part of doing that also we had a a fleet maintenance consulting which is uh, a part i played a big part in and and what i would do is i would uh, work with companies all over the country fortune 200 companies is all they would deal with um so i was basically traveling around the country uh, helping different big fleets get better maintenance efficiencies lower their cost uh you know help figure out you know problems that they were having uh whether it be you know we had a customer at one time that was having a lot of tire issues you know we we dove into it found out what the problem was um, you know saved them probably millions of dollars in the long run on tires because they they were they were having some pretty serious issues with uh, with tire recaps and things like that. Okay. So I would help, you know, put out fires essentially with things like that. Um, did that for six years or so. Um, I started getting involved with the TMC technology maintenance council. Um, I got the uh, endorsement of certified transportation professional from the national private truck council. Um, through the tmc i graduated from their leadership of tomorrow program that they have there started chairing some of their task force i chaired a refrigerant recovery recycling task force which we ended up getting a recommended practice published through okay. that okay that they still use uh technician staffing you know i put together the formula for figuring out how fleets uh, staff their shops essentially based off of the previous workload um so we' done that uh that became a recommended practice as well that was published as a recommended practice the okay. industry still follows that that uh, that model uh I, t- I chaired a task force for them hiring military veterans which is a um, a task force they put together to try to curb the uh, technician shortage you know to get uh veterans, veterans involved yep yep so uh you know during that time period I was really being exposed to a lot of different resources, a lot of different people. I started realizing that, you know, this technician shortage thing was huge. You know, it was uh, all over the country. You know, and I ran my shop here in Atlanta uh, for another company, another company shop. I uh, I noticed it here, you know, in Atlanta, but I just never imagined that it would be something that was all over the country. Right. You know, so when I started traveling, I started really realizing that this problem was across the whole country. It's not an isolated incident, right? Nope nope and uh the u.s uh, bureau of labor and statistics uh estimates 29,000 new technicians needed every year for the next decade yeah. yep and and schooling isn't putting out nowhere near that many yeah. um so we're having to take very creative approaches to this you know um you know and, and back to the days when i was running a shop here in atlanta you know um uh, the recruiting skills really comes into play you know and Something that, you know, I felt like I've kind of had a handle on for a long time. Now, a lot of companies are starting to do that. When I was doing that, it was really shunned upon. In fact, I would talk to people. People would ask me, how do you get your technicians? I'd bring them in. The people who were interested, I'd bring them in and get them trained up, you know, and, and everybody was really questionable of that. You know, nobody wanted to take that approach. Now, fast forward 10 years 75, 80% of the companies are taking that approach. <laughs> yep. So I feel like I had a good head start on that, you know, yeah. and I had the philosophy, which is the same philosophy we do here, you know. And um, so I took in a, you know, I learned everything I could about about recruiting and, and um, you know, technicians and things. And, um, you know, I started writing an article for Fleet Service Technology Magazine, which was a sub-magazine of fleet equipment you know Babcock's media i believe was who, who wrote it i was doing these articles once a month uh, getting a good bit of publicity you know through linkedin and different things like that i had people hit me up i actually wrote an article one time about recruiting got a lot of a lot of good a lot feedback of buzz. a lot of buzz <laughs> yeah i got a lot of feedback a lot of emails about it yeah and uh so you know i just started realizing at that point that it seemed logical that if i came back here and started a fleet service management group that we could really get a lot done you know and uh you know not only is it hard finding technicians and vendors but it's hard finding vendors that really treat the customer right and sure yeah and and look out for the customer's needs so uh i knew that if we came back here had affordable pricing good quality technicians that bought in and had good passion uh had a good you know good price good quality product quick Uh, you know, reducing downtime, minimizing downtime for customers, I knew that it couldn't go wrong, you know, and that's what we did. We came back here. I started the business part-time. Luckily for me, I didn't have to take any financing out to start the business. Okay. Yeah, I was, uh, through my consulting, I was getting pretty good bonuses. Uh, You know, when we would perform, we would get great bonuses. So, I was taking that money and uh, investing it in our company and, uh, you know, building our first mobile truck. Essentially, we started mobily, uh, hence the name mobile transportation service. Um, So we just, you know, we just took that that idea and ran with it. We um, started one truck. I was still working full time just as I was really finishing building it. I had an old friend of mine that was a mechanic for a dealership that was uh, quitting his job. He had had enough, you know, the old school mentality treating technicians bad and, you know, not having any kind of uh, flexibility and things like that. Right. So he was leaving, uh, wanted to know if he could come work for me. So, you know, I put it together. I was like, I can't guarantee you how many hours you're going to get. You know, we're just starting out, but if you want to try it, we'll definitely pursue it. So this was 2017. We got it rolling. He was uh, working 40, 50 hours a week within a couple months. Mm. Yep. And it just took off from there. Uh, you know, we got that one truck going real well. Um, customers were loving it. You know, the, wor- the work that we was giving to them. Um, you know, my whole philosophy is, and it has been for a long time, is reducing downtime for customers. You know, and this was pre-pandemic too, keep in mind. which right. It's even more important now. But pre-pandemic, uh, it was it was important. It's, it's a lot more important now with the equipment shortages and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, our whole philosophy was if a customer called us with a need for a repair or whatever, if we could get it done on a mobile truck, that's what we was doing. You know, and most companies try to get it back to the shop. Right. But the problem is... Uh, a lot of times the shops are backed up, you know, and got a lot of work. So if you bring a piece of equipment back it's to us, <laughs> yeah, it gets lost. It can take three or four weeks to get it turned around for yeah. a simple brake job or something that that we can send a mobile truck out and have it done in a couple hours. Mm. So that was our, our mindset. We really wanted to push the, uh, the mobile stuff, you know, and that's what we had at first anyway. So it worked out good for us. Right. So we started, uh, You know, we would go out on site to our customers' lots and do whatever we could there. And anything shop, they would send it to another vendor. We would just handle the mobile stuff. But we tried everything we could to handle it off the mobile truck. And that's really what started, uh, in my opinion, ramping our business up. Because while everybody else was trying to avoid the mobile truck and get the equipment back to their shop, I'm trying to embrace the mobile truck. That's all (laughs) I got, right? Right. And uh, strength. <laughs> uh, yeah. And and the downtime, they, you know, all of our customers started seeing a pretty big reduction in downtime because we we're getting the repairs handled so quickly. Yeah. And uh grew. It grew and grew. We got up to three trucks. Um, and then March of 2020, well, it's actually more like February of 2020, uh, I got offered a uh, a lease to a shop. Someone uh found it and asked me if I'd be interested. I came and looked at it uh like the idea of it love the idea of it obviously i wanted to expand i wanted to grow i wanted to get a shop so i was all in i was set you know mm-hmm. i worked out a good deal on it and then uh um uh, you know march 7th or 8th we hadn't signed the paperwork yet <laughs> everybody knows what was starting to happen around that time yeah what was it, like march 20th was
0: the actual day first day when it was announced Pandemic, right? It was like, I think it was
1: for that was it. Was yeah, it before I, that? I believe so. Because I, I, I
0: think it was like sometime like March seventeenth or somewhere right around in that it? area. Okay.
1: Yep. Because yep. yep. we signed our lease on March fifteenth. Okay. Yep. And uh, and and when I signed the lease, we already knew about it. It was already all over the news. In fact, uh, they had already sent our kids home from school and all that good stuff. Right. So uh, that was a big struggle for me to figure out what do I do at this point. You right. know what I mean? I mean, it's such a uh unknown you know uh what's going to happen from this point forward you know um here i am i don't have a whole lot you know we're still a very small business we had three employees at the time should i sign the lease and chance this and risk pretty much everything i've built up until this point you know financially or do i you know take what i've gotten and walk away and you know have a good little chunk of money to spend on something you know whatever so I was all in i'm like you know what i'm gonna take a chance uh you know talked to several people about it prayed about it decided uh decided to do it march 15th i signed the signed the deal and uh ended up working out tremendously for us Um, one of the first things that happened in april was everybody shut down the mobile the mobile stuff nobody wanted people on their yards Right, <clears throat> right. Right. Everything was contactless, right? Everything was contactless. Nobody, everybody called us and said, look, sorry, but we can't do any mobile stuff for the time being. So if we wouldn't have opened the shop, we would have been dead in the water. And um, luckily we had just opened the shop and they was like, but we've got work to do. So <laughs> if you guys want to take it down to your shop, we've got plenty of stuff for you guys to do. Yeah. So that really saved us big time, you know? And it was one of those moments where, you know you just nobody can predict what's going to happen or you know you just had to basically take a leap of faith you know we did and ended up being the right decision yeah yeah so yep we we opened our first shop we got it rolling uh 5,000 square foot shop here next door um, we uh, you know started acquiring more customers we started noticing that one of the first things we started noticing was the leasing companies were all getting rented out. All the trucking companies were coming in and leasing and renting every piece of equipment they could find. Right. And, uh, uh, obviously that was indicating, you know, there were some sort of shortages with the, sure. e- the equipment. So, so that ended up playing in our favor in a lot of ways because, you know, um, the lead times on getting a new piece of equipment at one point was 12, 13 months out, you know, trailers primarily uh you know because of raw metals and aluminum and things like that they were having a 12 13 14 month lead time on trailer builds so if you went and bought a brand new trailer you, you wasn't getting it for 14 months mm. so at that time uh you know everybody was repairing everything you know <laughs> so right worked out good for us you know we was able to to really uh, build a lot on that you know and help people you know get these uh get their equipment back up to par and to where they could use it and kind of just took it from there, man. And, and, and started really growing. And and things really just kind of started taking off after that, you know, and um, started hiring more and more technicians. And next thing, you know, fast forward to 2022 uh, we got offered a bigger spot, bigger shop, uh, you know, which we took August of 22. We moved into this facility we're in now kept our old facility gave us a total of 15,000 square foot shop space um and <clears throat> now we're really just uh just trying to help people stay on top of their their workload and and keep the equipment up and running
0: got it got it yep. well, well that is an amazing story thank you for for that i want to i want to go back a little bit mm-hmm. uh a little bit in the story kind of kind of just want to talk about you know how you talk about developing that raw talent Mm -hmm. and and like the technicians, that was an approach that most people weren't taking at the time. Um, so talk about, you know, what type of people would make a good technician and then talk about building that team that you talked about. You said you built a great team of technicians. Mm -hmm. What is, what does it take to do that?
1: And what does that look like? What does a great team look like? Okay. So to me, um, it's a little bit, you know, of a few different characteristics in my opinion, uh, for one, first and foremost, I'll tell you one of the, the biggest things to me is someone who has passion in themselves, who wants to be something bigger than what they are, who takes pride in what they do. You know, to me, that's the start of it all. You know, if you take passion in what you do and you want to be something bigger and you take, you know, a lot of pride in what you do, you're going to learn and you're going to develop yourself. And, you know, it's just a matter of time. You know, that's, that's what creates the motivation, in my opinion. So that's one of the first things I look for. As someone who has a good mindset, you know, somebody who comes in here and is positive, you know, when they come in and do the interview, they're real positive. They're, you know, um, say, you know saying things they're interested in learning about. Um, you know, I can always tell when uh, people talk about things they don't know about. So I kind of can pick up on those types of things. And that's a big red flag to me. Yeah, <laughs> You know, talking um, about things you don't know about. It's not never good. <laughs> never good, you know, and, um, you know, it's uh it's a, you have to be open for learning. You know, you really have to, you know, you have to put your ego down, uh, which can be hard for some people, you know, because uh, when you come in, there's going to be people telling you what to do. There's going to be people telling you, you know, how to how to do the jobs and stuff. And, and uh, you know, most people, well, I ain't gonna say most people, but a lot of people, they they kind of think they got figure it figured out themselves, you know what I mean, to where so you have to be very open to learn, you know, that's a big key to it. But if you get that person who's really open to learn, who's very interested in the trade, and they come in and they've got, you know, a little bit of mechanical experience. I mean, we've taken in really green people before and it, it takes a lot of time we'll take in green people even today you know people who don't have any experience whatsoever yeah we'll take them in uh generally takes a, a lot longer to develop them up it costs more from a you know ownership standpoint but uh you know if they have some mechanical experience like the ideal character really to me is uh you know somebody who has a little bit of mechanical experience who's worked on their own car or you know, change the oil in their mom's car or whatever, you know, little things like that. I can kind of generally pick up if somebody has, you know, a little bit of know-how, mechanical know-how. Right. So that mixed with that passion to want to learn. Uh, and then we, you know, we bring them in, we hire them. We basically let them kind of float around and work with other people who are experienced and, uh and start basically helping them, you know, and, and just getting in there. And, you know, I tell all my my experienced guys, when when you got somebody working with you that's training, make them put their hands on everything. You know, <laughs> yeah. this is your time to to chill and just dictate what happens. You know, so right, um, so you know the the experienced guys will really show them, you know, hands on how to do the work. They'll work them through the processes, uh, get them up to speed in that kind of direction, and then we just kind of monitor them and see kind of where they're at with things. We'll start giving them jobs on their own that are not so safety sensitive you know uh, different things like maybe you know putting a patch on the side of a trailer or you know changing a marker light out on a truck or whatever you know things that aren't so safety sensitive and something we can check really easily and make sure they've done it right right we always go behind them and check the quality of the work even our experienced guys we have a very uh thorough quality check you know as as the equipment comes out here it gets thoroughly checked So, uh, and then we just kind of monitor them and and watch them evolve and grow. And as they grow, we give them more money, uh, more money, you know, and they just, you know, they kind of take root and take it from there, you know. And uh, we've had a really good success with that. I mean, a lot of our team kind of started like that. What's kind of like a starting
0: point in terms of uh, pay? And then Mm -hmm. like what would be like the ending point when you've kind of reached the top level? Or is there a top level? Is there a ceiling? Can you keep Mm -hmm. on going? Talk about that.
1: So, you know, zero experience, someone who has no experience whatsoever. I mean, you're looking at probably $15, $16 an hour, somewhere right in that range. Um, you know, because it's going to cost us a lot to train someone training. like yep. that. Yep. And uh, we're only getting, you know, so much per hour. So, you know, if we do a break job, it only pays X amount of hours, depending on what the equipment is. Yeah. Um, you know, so... Someone, uh, you know, will have an experienced technician on that job along with someone being trained. So, you know, it really uh, eats up the profits of the job. So we have to start them, you know, at $15, $16 an hour. That way we can kind of, you know, afford it to be able to do it and make the numbers work. Um, as they learn, you know, they move up, you know, top out for us right now is 25 an hour. That's where we top out at. Um, uh, you know, as we grow, we hope to make that more, you know, um, and provide better benefits and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's pretty much uh, about the range of the pay. Got it. And what does a typical shop look like in terms of the, the, the,
0: the roles that's, you know, in the shop, like you have mm-hmm. like the lead, like a lead, I'm sure. Like, can you discuss how yep. That, that kind of works.
1: Yep. So we have a uh, starting, uh, we have a general manager that's first and foremost, and, and he's responsible for the whole operation of everything. You know, all of our shop operations, all of our mobile operations, uh, all of our parts, our inventory. He's really oversees everything. Uh, and then from there, you have, uh, you know, I have a assistant uh, that's assistant to me that helps with billing and accounting and invoicing, and they do parts as well. Uh, passing out POs and stuff like that. Yep. And then from there, saw technicians. You know, we have... Uh, we have uh, twelve total employees. That's everybody. So we have six bays here in the shop that we have technicians in, and then we have three mobile service trucks. So that's that's pretty much where we're at right now. And you know, as we grow, and the thing about it is, is as a small business owner, you know, we'd love to have a person that's specifically for parts. We'd love to have a person that's specifically to go out and write estimates. Yeah. But the reality is the budget just isn't there to have all these things. So you have to really kind of build it up to the point to where the budget allows to bring those type of people in. And really have everybody kind of soul in you know one position. Got it. The term fleet fleet management is it's a pretty broad term, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And you can kind of take that whatever your experience would, would allow you to kind of see it as. What, what's fleet management to you? How, how do you what do you look at when you think of the word fleet management? What do you what do you think
1: of? Hmm. Okay. So fleet management to me is uh, definitely more than just the maintenance side of things. Okay. You know, I look at fleet management as asset management. As equipment overall, I look at it to, you know, uh, when do you get rid of your equipment? Like what age do you get rid of your equipment that it's uh, the turning? You know, the cost of the cost becomes more than what you're really making off the equipment. You, know, you have to have that turning point on all your equipment. Um, so, so you look at that. You look at the management of when to dispose of equipment, when to bring new equipment in, how to constantly be, um, you know. Uh, evolving your fleet every year, take a certain amount out every year, put a certain amount of new ones back in that way. Your fleet doesn't get too old. You're always staying up to date on all the technology, safety technologies, fuel efficiencies, um, you know, lower maintenance costs. Uh, so that's a big part of fleet management to me. Uh, you know, knowing your equipment and, and what each state requires different states have different, you know, regulations and rules that, that uh they have to you know abide by so you have to know you know how's a truck in uh new york going to be different from a truck in dallas texas right you know um specking uh is a big part of managing it a lot of people overlook specking you know buying a semi is a lot different than uh going and buying a f-150 you know? <laughs> <laughs> for sure yeah so you know you have to spec it to your operation um and there's a lot that goes into it. I mean, there's a, a, a scientific method behind it, you know, to, right. the, to the gearing sizes. And, you know, you really want to spec the truck around the engine. You know, the engine has a peak torque at a certain horsepower or at a certain RPM, rather. So you want your transmission, your differential, your tire size. You want all that stuff to be, uh, you know, to go along with that engine parameters to where you keep your RPMs in the right areas, mm. you know, because a lot of people will over their trucks, you know, and put bigger rear end differentials than they really need. If the truck is, you know, the sweet spot of the truck is 1,200 RPMs and you're rolling down the highway 65 mile an hour at 1,400 RPMs, then you're basically 200 RPMs just being wasted going out the window. So there's a big fuel efficiency thing that comes in play there with the uh, specking and, and knowing the the proper differential sizes and the transmission size and tire size all plays a role in that. Wow.
0: Yep. So, and, and this is something that you have to kind of educate your customer on because I'm sure most people aren't looking this deeply into the science of the truck, right? right? And the equipment. Yep. So that's something that you would kind of talk to them about and tell them how they can save based on how they spec the
1: truck. Yeah. You know, we here at, at Mobile Transportation Service, we don't get too involved with that side of things. Okay. Um, you know, that's really more on the executives at the different companies. Right. I've, uh, you know, been involved with that in, in a previous role. That's how I know a good bit about it. Um, but that's, that's definitely a big part of fleet management, you know, yeah. is knowing the specs of your equipment, knowing where, uh, cause you know, a, a truck that's pulling mountains is going to be specced a little bit different than a truck out in the middle of nowhere on flat lands the whole time, you know? So, um, uh, and you know, I, at one time, I built a calculator off an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> I mean, it was uh, it was pretty cool, actually. We uh, we did a, a project for a company. I won't say the name of the company, but they were uh, they they had car haulers. Okay, car haulers get terrible fuel mileage. You know, they're like parachutes, pretty much, going down the road. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Yep. yep. So uh, you know, they were trying to figure out what they needed to do to get better fuel mileage. Um. Me and and my boss at the time, who ended up being a great mentor, uh, I learned so much from the guy. You know, we put together a uh, this the calculator. He told me all the math, um, and I basically put it together on an Excel spreadsheet. We started playing with the numbers, the differential sizes, the transmission sizes, stuff like that. Uh, I really started kind of poking around with it and seeing how how it affected the fuel mileage. You know, on on paper, this was all obviously on a program at this point, right? Um, so we got it to a point to where we felt like if we went with this spec that we could save them, you know, X amount of money. I mean, it was a significant amount. I want to say it was like four or $500,000 a year for their whole, for their whole fleet. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's great. And what, what size is the fleet? Uh, it was like 125 trucks. Okay.
0: Yeah. But that's a ton of money. Half A million dollars.
1: Yep. And, and they did, they ended up going with it. You know, they, they took our suggestions, they went with it and ended up saving a lot of money. It worked out okay yep and it was uh you know all based off of just building the that you know like i said you know putting the the proper differential size the right transmission you want to build it around the engine really you know the engine has a sweet spot at a certain rpm the peak torque at that certain rpm you find that that level there and you start building the truck to where at 65 miles an hour going down the road you're running that rpm level yeah because you can take a empty chassis. I mean, it's all about the the flywheel, you know, how fast the flywheel's turning. So you could take a, ch- a chassis with no, no engine in it, put all these different gears on it, you know, uh, differential tire size and transmission with a flywheel and take the engine out and run it down a hill. And the flywheel is going to turn different speeds at different, depending on your setup through the truck, you know. So at 65 miles an hour, that flywheel needs to be turning at whatever the compatible comfort level is for that engine you know the peak uh torque you know the comfort zone for it right and uh so that's essentially what we was doing we was just playing with the numbers trying to find that exact number that would put them right in that range at 65 miles an hour which is where a lot of people are governed at and uh you know and then there's other little things you can do like um you know like we would do uh the cruise control We would give them an extra two miles an hour if they use cruise control. You know, like, so if the truck was governed at 65, we would make it to where if they use cruise control, it would go 67. Okay. So it gave them an incentive to use cruise control, which helps fuel mileage. So it was all based around fuel mileage, Mm -hmm. you know. And um, so all that. You know, back to your original question with fleet management, to me, all that plays into it. A ton of stuff. It is. It really is a ton <laughs> of stuff. And we hadn't even talked about maintenance yet. You
0: yeah, know? yeah, yeah. We haven't even gotten to that point. I, I also want to <clears> dig <throat> into the first thing that you that you mentioned. When is it time to to turn in your truck and stuff? Could you get into that? Because you have a ton of knowledge. So I want to make sure we kind of could learn learn from you.
1: Yep. Right? Um, you know, it's it's uh, definitely different depending on the operation. Yeah. Um, Right around 500,000 miles or so is kind of what we started seeing. That's the tipping point, you know, four to 500,000 miles right in that range. You know, when you start going over that mileage, that's when you start having your turbos going out, your, you know, your after treatment issues. After treatment is a huge cost right now for so many people. Right. Uh, you start having a lot of after treatment issues. You know, a lot of your costs really come after 500,000. I mean, up till that point, you're going to have some things, but a lot of your your major maintenance costs are coming after that. And so if you turn in a truck or sell a truck that's got 500,000 miles on it, getting a newer truck, not only are you going to be saving buku's of money on maintenance, but you're also going to get better fuel mileage, you know, uh, you know, as I was saying earlier, and, the, and the, the GHG mandates are still going on to this day. So in 2000, I believe it was 2018, don't hold me to that, but it was right around that area. They came out with GHG two, which is basically a second phase of it where they continued on. You have to be two and a half percent better fuel mileage every year, the mm. OEMs. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So if you get into a brand new truck now and get out of a four-year-old truck, you're right off the rip going to get ten percent better fuel mileage. So that's huge, you know. You For can, sure. It can equal uh, you know, three, 000, four thousand dollars a year per truck. Right, you know, so you got a truck, hundred hundred trucks, and that's three or four hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, you know, yeah. in a year that can be saved just on the fuel mileage alone, not including the uh, the maintenance cost. Mm. So, but obviously, it depends on the on the uh, the operation. People who are running their truck a lot more miles, a lot harder, they're going to be getting out of them sooner. People who maybe like local pickup and delivery, like a lot of your, you know, uh, beverage distribu- distributors and people like that, you know they don't run quite as many miles so they may can go a little longer you know we've seen some instances where you know some of the bottling distributors were only running 25 30,000 miles a year which is very little you know we based a lot of the calculations off 100,000 a year okay so like you know triple 500,000 miles on it would be maybe 5 years old right around that's kind of where we would placed a lot of the tipping points, but it just really varies. Got it. Yeah. Got yeah. it.
0: Let's talk about the, uh, the business and the entrepreneurial side. I want to, I want to kind of get into that starting the business. Um, you said you started with one truck. Yep. Right. Um, how'd you
1: find your first customers? So, uh, you know, just hitting the ground running, you know, going around selling, uh, myself, um, actually, uh, I really kind of lucked up in a way, <laughs> you know, I, I, the first customer we had, we still do business with them to this day. They're one of okay. our biggest customers. Uh, they just so happened at the time to be looking for a good vendor. You know, uh, they were going through some issues with some of the vendors they were having and they were looking for a good resource to help them with their downtime. And we came in at the right time. But uh, 90% of the customers that we have to this day is from me going door to door selling, I mean, it's, yeah, yep, like it's, you know, we don't really have that big of a social media uh, presence, which we do want to go that route and get to that point, obviously. But um, to this point, it's just been a lot of, you know, going out and meeting people, talking to people, you know, meeting people at these conferences and stuff like that, you know, and and, um, uh, just around locally, kind of getting around. And, you know, next thing you know, you got a lot of people calling you and relying on you for work. Got it.
0: Um, how much money can one save, you know, getting their truck repaired mobilely on the road as opposed to having to bring it back to the shop? Like you said, a lot of people mm-hmm. want to get the truck back to the shop. What are the incentives to like, hey, let's let's get it done right here on the road? Like how, mm-hmm. how
1: much can you save in doing that? So you save a good bit of cost. Uh, just like in our operation here. You know, we only bring stuff back to the shop if it's going to take hours and hours to complete. You know, if it's something that's going to take 40 or 50 hours to do the work, then at that point it's coming to the shop. You right. know, it's coming to that to the shop way before that point. But, you know, if you've got something that's a four or five, six hour job, you know, we can get that done mobily all day long. Um, so the main thing that you're going to save is like our hourly rates the same, whether you're on a mobile or uh, bringing it here. The main thing you're going to save is the downtime, mm-hmm. which is huge right now. For sure. Yep. With equipment shortages, I mean, trailers have been just crazy over the last, ever since March of 20 when when everything started going on with the pandemic. You know, around June or July, you know, that's about the time I started seeing a run on all the trailers. Everybody started renting them up uh, for a while there. Now it's starting to come back, uh, but for a while there, You caught around all these rental companies, you wasn't finding the trailer. I mean, it it was really bad for a lot of the owner-operators, you know, and the owner-operators run the majority of the freight in the country, too. For sure. Yep. But a lot of the bigger fleets were going into these rental companies, just renting hundreds of trailers at a time and kind of, you know, taking them all up. But um, so, you know, you see a lot of issues with they can't afford to be down a a truck or a trailer, you know, if they're down, they can't, they don't have spares, they don't have extra equipment just laying around. So, you know, you're talking about missed revenue. You're talking about drivers sitting there not making any money. So that's the biggest thing you're going to see savings on from the mobile truck is is the downtime. Yeah. Um, the hourly rate's the same. The uh, obviously the bill will be less because it's going to be less hours. Um, but uh, and of course you'll save. You'll have a service call fee. But, you know, if, if we bring it here, we're going to – we have a pickup and delivery fee if we go get it. It's a lot of times a truck, the companies will bring them to us. But uh, that's your biggest savings is downtime. Got it. What should, what should be the – what's the expectation for the work that should be able to
0: be done mobily, right? Because sometimes some guys will have a truck brought back to the shop and you're like, you could have fixed this on the road, man. Mm-hmm. Like what what should be able to be repaired and then what are the things that, you know, you sometimes you have to bring it back to the shop?
1: So, you know – I would say the the biggest thing, if you're going to have anything open and exposed for more than a day or two at a time, you need to start looking at getting some cover, you know, that way it's not exposed to elements, stuff like that. Um, you know, the mobile trucks are more for your airlines busting, you know, your your lights out, you know, your ABS issues, your, your brakes, your, uh, you know, any kind of door issues they may have on the back of the trailer, um, you know pretty much basic things like that. We can do a starter mobile. We can do, you know, alternator mobile. We can do s- some air conditioning work mobile. Um, so there's actually a lot you can do mobile, you know, <laughs> and, and, and you'd be surprised how many of the problems a lot of times are those minor little problems like that, like a brake chamber, you know, brake chambers go out left and right, you know, and that's something we can do off a mobile truck. Um, you know, a lot of your uh, your bigger repairs are going to be like your, you know, if you're pulling a transmission or if you're, you know, replacing a whole, you know, top rail or bottom rail or doing a major wreck rebuild or something like that. Obviously, something like that will be brought back to the shop. But um, for the most part, you know, most of the issues, especially when you get into fleets, because fleets, once again, they take that approach that they, they get rid of equipment before it starts giving them a lot of problems. Right. So a lot of the issues that the fleets are having are really smaller issues, you know, like your busted airline, somebody ripped the airline off the front of the, the back of a truck, you know, or electrical airline or, or electrical line or like a brake chamber or a set of brakes or something like that. Mostly like simple stuff is what, you know, comes through and all of that stuff we can handle mobile. And that's the majority of it. I'd say, 70 to 80 percent of the work that comes through is more minor stuff that we can go out and fix it real quick and be back, you know. And um, our mobile trucks stay busy. I mean, I've got (laughs) three. Every one of them's booked for the rest of this week. (laughs) You know, it's just crazy.
0: Got it. Do you guys uh, do a reefers at all on the trailers? or
1: We do reefer body work. Body work. Yeah, we don't. not actually the, the unit we don't we okay. don't do the reefer unit itself we all know how to do it but the insurance costs to do the to the reefer unit itself are really high right you want to make make a mistake <laughs> if you make a mistake you know call thermo king <laughs> exactly yep you know you have a load of like prescription drugs or something that has to be refrigerated you could have millions on millions of dollars on that trailer you know if something goes wrong with a repair on a on a reefer unit it can it can be very costly so the insurance companies are very very aware of that risk and they they jack the price on up. We will eventually get into it. I do want to get into it because there's not many people really locally that do it except for the bigger names, you know. Right. And uh, so we do want to eventually get into it. It's just building up to where we can kind of explore that option, you know. Got it. So you you started with the the mobiles. You started with
0: one, you built Up to three, right? Mm -hmm. And then you said you had the opportunity. You started getting the trailers. You got into
1: trailer repair. Mm -hmm. Kind of talk about that transition. Just dive a little bit deeper into that for me. So, uh, you know, a lot of it was when I first started this business, I'm a truck mechanic. I came up as a truck mechanic. Uh, When I first started this business, that's solely what we was going for was truck and trailer. Uh, But really, it just kind of happened that way because the demand was so high for the trailer stuff. Uh, Back to the shortages of the you know, the trailers and the raw metals to make them. And, uh, you know, people were having trouble, you know, getting equipment. So, um, it just created a good opportunity for us, you know, to repair the, the trailers. But as far as the transition, it really wasn't that bad. Um, you know, usually a, um, Someone who is mechanically inclined someone who can pick up things, you know, it's pretty pretty straightforward. They're not really that difficult to work on. They're, right. You know, they're pretty much just a box on wheels, you know, <laughs> yeah, with with an air braking system and an electrical system. And actually, you know, from a training standpoint, they're the perfect piece of equipment to train someone on. They're less complex. They're less complex. They're a very basic braking system, very basic electrical you know, and then you get into trucks and everything just kind of goes from there. You know, it's all based off of the same type of systems, but it's a lot more complex, you know. Right, right. And yeah. then what about the body, the body work? You guys got transitioned
0: that as well, right? Yeah. Fixing the, the yep. aluminum and all that?
1: Yep. A lot of fixing all the rails. You know, we do complete top rail replacements, complete bottom rail replacements. I mean, we've did, we completely rebuild one on the back end that uh, had been rear-ended by another tractor trailer. I mean, it was. Oh, wow seven or eight years ago they probably would have totaled it but you know once again it was just such a delay to get a new piece of equipment that they went ahead and repaired it you know so it was a pretty uh pretty substantial job but um as far as learning it goes i mean it was really just you know picking resources uh, i had some trailer experience myself so i knew a good bit about it um and you know relying on resources through some of the associations that i'm a part of uh a lot of good information out there if you get to digging for it, you know, and a lot of a lot of good people that will help you through the stuff and, you know, tell you more about the things. And um, we just really kind of got into it and started doing it. Next thing you know, we was really good at it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> got it. Are your, yep. your typical comp- customers the larger fleets? We deal with mostly uh, larger to mid midsize fleets and then uh, a lot of leasing companies. We do a lot of work for leasing companies. Oh, okay. Got it. So when yep. they have repairs, they'll send it to you. You'll yep. be like their vendor.
0: Yep. Okay. Okay. Got it. What is the, the, the future? We just now kind of talked about you want to get into like reefer repair. What are some other mm-hmm. things you're looking into do? Uh, we took the, the tour. Yeah, so yep. I know you want to grow what yep. are some other things or other services you're looking to provide?
1: So, uh, first and foremost, we want to grow, uh, logistically. We want to be able to cover more area. <clears throat> so, you know, we're looking at other cities to, to open shop up in, you know, we're eyeballing Savannah, uh, you know, Jacksonville, Possibly Nashville, Charlotte, Birmingham, some of the local, more local kind of areas around this area, yeah. southeastern. So we're looking to do that. We're How look- do you identify those spots? Like, what's a good place for you to be? Savannah is one that we're really eyeing. Uh, you know, they've been dredging ports down there and everything else. So uh, Savannah's, you know, it's it's moving on up in its capacity of it's what prime. they can do. Yeah. So we're really looking at Savannah. Uh, it's not too far from us. I can manage it a little easier. <laughs> you know, right here. Yeah. So uh, that'll probably be the next space we go, I would say, um, just because of the work that's down there. I've been down there several times and talked to companies and just like everywhere, they're having trouble finding good quality vendors, and you know, and um, so that's definitely, that's on our radar. Uh, add more mobile trucks here is definitely on our radar. What are you at now? We got three mobile trucks three? right now. Okay. Yep. Got it. We got 12 total employees. Okay. Yep. But uh, so in shifts, so you have night shift. You,
0: you got the twenty four hour, right?
1: No, it's just day shift. Day shift. Okay, yep. Yep. got it. Yep, all we operate is Monday through Friday, eight to five. Okay. Okay. Yep. But uh, another thing that we really would like to get into down the road, <clears throat> it's a uh, investment opportunity and something I'm looking into is, you know, uh, as we move forward, predictive maintenance is becoming a, a Big talking point. I don't know. If
0: mm, you've- yeah. I, I expound on that. Predictive maintenance.
1: Yeah. Can you talk about what that is? Yeah. So it's basically being, a, being able to predict when the when the equipment's going to break down before it does. Uh, you've got preventative maintenance, which yeah. helps prevent, yep. right? But predictive maintenance is, uh, you know, trying to set things in place to where you know that they're going to fail before they do. For example, if you got a fleet of 200 trucks, all right, and you've had the same— component whether it be a belt tensioner that goes you've seen a, a you know a consistency in the same belt tensioner going bad at around 150 200,000 miles you know and you've let's say you've seen that out of 35 of the 100 trucks that you have right mm-hmm. at that point you can start to assume that the rest of them are probably not far behind it <laughs> for sure <laughs> you know <laughs> so you know you can uh, look at it from that kind of perspective but there's also a perspective of, uh, you know, there's a lot of remote diagnostics that are going on right now and, yeah. and, and people are trying to get into. So, uh, you know, it, it'd be nice if you had a device on on a truck that would read battery. And, and these things types of things exist. They're already out there. But there's better ways to me right, that we like can improve on it. it. Yep. Yeah. But, you know, if you can, like, for example, you know, some of the telematic stuff. You know, they're they're looking at charging voltage, you know, you can see what the battery voltage has on a truck remotely. You know, so if you're seeing that the voltage on a truck is, you know, 10, 11 volts regular, you know, on a regular basis, you could have it trigger a red flag, send a mobile guy out to that truck, check it, do a do a low test on the batteries, you very well may have just saved a breakdown. Right. You know, and if right. you can save that breakdown, so like for example, we have deals with all of our customers at a certain rate they know what they're going to get from us they know our you know our markups are reasonable let's say we didn't find that truck that had the batteries and that truck gets gone and gets you know 50 miles down the road and he stops you know at a store or something and goes gets back in his truck to crank it up and the truck won't crank so at that point he's having to call an outside service to come repair it so you've got you know Freight being late, which has a cost associated with that, you know, customer uh, service cost. And on top of that, you know, sometimes people want discounts and things like that, when, especially if it's time-sensitive oh, freight. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You've got the uh, the driver sitting there, you know, that's if it's an hourly driver, they're sitting there making money without, uh, you know, without the truck moving. You've got a, a risk, you know, if, if they just so happen to break down on the side of the road, you know, that's a big risk. With a you know a, a car running into the truck on the side of the road or a driver you know your driver getting hit uh, you know there's a lot of lawsuits and all going on right now currently with I mean it's a, it's a really a bad problem that the industry facing right now. You have all these different people who are suing trucking companies for all these things, and they call them nuclear payouts, as they call them. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, so so safety is is on everybody's radar. You know. Um, so you have that that cost associated with it. And then on top of all that, you have the cost that the vendor that's coming out there to service your equipment, they don't know you, you don't know them. They're liable to charge a lot more money than, than really what's what needed to be done, you know, um, you know, cause you got to get dishonest people in this type of business. So they're going to come out there and, you know, try to overcharge people for the services and stuff like that. So there was actually a study done back in 2018 or 2019 and they figured out that, and th- and that's the difference between scheduled and unscheduled maintenance. So scheduled is if we would have found that battery on a, like, let's say on a PM service, mm-hmm. then we would have made that repair on a scheduled cycle. Whereas as soon as it leaves and it breaks down out in the field, then you're talking about an unscheduled repair. Right. Unscheduled maintenance is four times the amount that scheduled maintenance cost. Wow. Yep. Yeah yeah that's crazy, yep so if you can cut down unscheduled maintenance cost as a fleet or as a trucking company that has several pieces of equipment, you're gonna save a lot of money and uh you know and the and the cost of maintenance is already expensive, you know it's not not easy to maintain these trucks so so you know four times the amount i mean that's that's pretty <laughs> significant for you know. sure. For sure. Yep. So, so the predictive maintenance is, uh, you know, it's, it's a thing that the industry, it's a big buzzword in the industry right now. Everybody's trying to come up with different ways to help make that happen better. We've got some ideas for some sensors and some different components that we can add to the truck and the trailer that would help predict certain things happening before they do, you know, cause there's characteristics that components have before they fail, you mm-hmm. know, and if you can pick up on those characteristics and send that remotely to a computer somewhere and let somebody know hey this this bearing is making a lot of noise a lot more noise than it should or it's the temperature is high on it you know higher than normal uh you know, you can start to um pinpoint these problems before they actually break down so that's one alley that we really want to explore uh, in the near future is maybe you know uh coming up with some of these components that'll help that process. Got it. Now, that's yeah. amazing. What
0: speaking, I know you deal with a lot of the larger midsize, the larger carriers, but for small carriers, what is, who are listening, what are some things that they can do um, for fleet management and, and to prepare themselves to have less issues? If you could give them like three to four pieces of word, mm-hmm. three to four pieces of words of advice, what mm-hmm. would that be for their equipment?
1: Yep. Yeah. Um, stay on your preventative maintenance schedules. Make sure you're doing that. You know, so many people overlook it. They don't think it's that big of a deal. You know, um, even if you're not doing an oil change, you know, still have some kind of inspection in between your oil changes even, you know, uh, to where you can pull the piece of equipment in and get a good look at it. You know, because you can p- pull a piece of equipment in and spend two hours looking at it and and the bill be less than a 100 bucks probably. And if you don't do it and the truck gets gone, it's going to end up costing you $1,500 if it breaks down somewhere. Right. So that's a big thing. Stay on top of your PM schedules. Make sure you're very diligent about that, uh, however you do it. Um, You know that a lot of people will do inspections once a year because that's what the FHWA requires, right? So uh, a lot of your fleets who really look into this stuff and study it day in and day out, they're doing it at least twice a year, you know, these inspections. And and that's going to help cut down on unscheduled maintenance costs. That's also going to always keep your equipment in compliance. You never have to worry about a compliance issue as far as your inspections being out of date. But uh, so that would be one. Stay on top of your preventative maintenance schedules. I'll tell you one that's uh, a lot of people overlook. Okay. That's huge. Okay. Drain your air tanks mm. every every day if you can. Drain your air tanks because that moisture gets in your braking system and just wreaks havoc. Okay. Yep. That's so a good one. so that's a good one there. Um, make sure your lights are all working. You know that's one of the biggest reasons you get pulled over by the DOT is lights being out. Right. And then that's going to you're you know you're going to be uh, subject to inspections. And next thing you know, you've got a lot of different things that. You know you're facing as a company as far as your CSA score stuff like that. So, you know that's big. Make sure your lights are working all the time. In fact, there's marker lights. Everything. Yep, yep. Yep. There's actually a couple of different people who are who are, you know, coming out with products that, if one of your lights goes out, it's it's got other you know elements and stuff that light up. Okay. Just to like keep a notification or like a nudge. Yep, it's uh it, well, uh, like the particular one I'm talking about, it actually once one light goes out, it actually the other one lights up. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. Okay. So,
1: so that you know that you cut down on things like that because it really is important to to uh, make sure that you know obviously that your lights are working for safety reasons. For, too. for safety reasons, yep. but uh, you know, you're going to get a lot of attention from from uh you know the DOT and everybody else if your lights aren't working so. It's good to stay on top of all that stuff and all your, main. you know, if you stay on top of all the preventative maintenance, it all goes back to that. You know, you're always looking, you know, if something's just barely leaking, don't, don't kick the can down the road. Go ahead and get it fixed. <laughs> you know, right. I, I find that a lot with a lot of the smaller uh, companies and a lot of the smaller fleets and stuff is, you know, they, they kind of kick the can down the road on a lot of stuff. Right. And all you're doing is buy time. They try to buy time. Make time for your maintenance or your maintenance will make time for you. Mm. You know, and that's big, you know, because, and that is, that's so true. You know, we were trained because I came up in the fleet environment. And I, I think that's really one of the advantages that we have here as well is, uh, I understand the way the fleets work. And, uh, you know, if you can, we were trained to fix every little thing. I mean, when it came in for an inspection, we went from bumper to bumper and everything on that truck was getting fixed for the right. most part, you know, right. Um, unless it was just something that didn't need to be fixed, you know what I mean? Um, but for the most part, 98% of the stuff was getting fixed on every inspection and that's key, you know, staying on top of that stuff, staying ahead of it. Nobody wants to spend the money, you know, and, <laughs> Of and, course, and, especially in this environment. Right. right yep. Yeah. But if you don't, it's just going to cost you more down the road. It's going to cost you more and, uh, unscheduled maintenance costs, um, you know the, your equipment's going to suffer you know in the long run it's going to create other problems too um uh, like you know with after treatment after treatments a big cost right now yeah um, so you know like if you've got a coolant leaking into the after treatment system or something like that you know and and you're not addressing that and, and it's just barely leaking and you just top it off every so often you know and over time it's uh you know you don't you don't think it's that big of a deal but that's creating a lot of havoc through your whole after treatment system. And after treatment is an expensive cost these days, you know, uh, some repairs upwards of ten, fifteen thousand $15,000, you know, yeah, wow. to repair them. So, you know, don't, don't, uh, you know, always take those things seriously and get them repaired right when you notice them, you know, nobody likes to have to do it, but we have to do it. You know, if you're in, in trucking, you have to keep your equipment top notch and good shape. So that's, that's, uh, a big thing is just staying on top of all the smaller repairs. Yeah. The, the fundamentals, man.
0: The, yep. the basics, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do, do the basics. Wow. Well, well, thank you, Travis. I mean, this has been amazing. Just, um, you know, you educating us mm-hmm. and, and I definitely appreciate all your time. We're going to start to to wrap. But okay. before we do, I, I want to. Is, is there anything else that, that I missed that you want to add before, before we wrap uh, up?
1: I think I'm pretty good. We, we kind of
0: covered everything, right? Yeah, okay. yeah I believe so. Okay, amazing. All right. So before we before we wrap up, we always do two things. Number one, we have to let everybody know where they can connect with you, mm-hmm. contact you personally and learn more about mobile transportation services. If they if they need service, they want to mm-hmm. connect with you business wise. And then also connect with you personally. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, we do our final thought which is just like, you know, something spiritual, uh, mm-hmm. something entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. Any thought you want to leave with our audience to kind of give them some encouragement? Okay. Um, so let's start with uh, where they can connect with you, where they can find out and, and learn more about yep. what you're doing. Yep.
1: Okay, so they can connect with us. Our website address is www.mtsfleet.com. We have a Facebook page. Uh, you can search mobile transportation service. We have a LinkedIn page, mobile transportation service. You'll find us there. Um. You can call us, 770-568-4284. That's our uh, number. You can get any kind of service there. You can email us, service at mtsfleet.com. Um, so that's the basic ways to get get, uh, get a hold of us there. Nice. Yep. And let's go for the final thought. What do you want to leave the audience with? I'll tell you the biggest thing, in my opinion. Uh, it's been one of the, the best pieces uh, to me uh, You know, at, at building what we've built this far is get out of your comfort zone. Mm. So many people stay in their comfort zone and they never want to get out of their comfort zone cause they're scared or obviously everybody wants to be comfortable, right? So <laughs> no, nobody wants that, that, that displeasure of, of having to face things that you don't want to face or get involved with things you don't want to get involved with. But, uh, you know, I pretty much have gotten used to getting out of my comfort zone at this point. I've mm. forced myself through things, you know, and that's been a, a one of the biggest keys to success in, in our, in our situation is I've always pushed the envelope, you know, and I think that's a great piece of advice for people who are wanting to become entrepreneurs or want to start their own business is don't be afraid to get out of your comfort zone. Cause if if you can't take being out of your comfort zone, then, you know, it's it's just, it's not, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of great people who are do the everyday thing and then that's fine. You know, there's a lot of ordinary people, but if you want to be extraordinary, you got to get out of your comfort zone. That's right. I always say if you want to be extraordinary,
0: you got to do extraordinary things, man. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yep. Has has 2022 been your best year revenue wise?
1: Yes. Yep. Yep. Are yes. you able to share with you guys? Yeah. Yeah. So um, right now we're looking at we're anticipating for this year right at two million a year. Nice. Yep. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So. Amazing,
0: man. Well, you guys are growing an amazing business. Uh, we took the tour. Like I said, thank you for that. And Mm -hmm. I just love what I'm seeing, what you're growing into. And thank you so much for just educating us on some of these things because we don't get to talk about it a lot. And these are like the fundamentals of Mm -hmm. this business, right? You have to know about fleet maintenance, fleet management and so forth in order to run a a successful and profitable trucking business. So I appreciate that.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me on. It was a
0: pleasure. For sure. So Hustle fam, if you don't respect that, your whole perspective is whack. If you smell something burning, it's only a desire. Myself and Travis, we are out of here. If you twisted, confused, or stuck about trucks, don't be dumb. This is the place to come. Truck and Hustle. Let's go.